Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 210 of Dogcast Radio. Dogcastradio.com is the place to go for all our other episodes, as well as dog breed information, book reviews and our blog. In this episode, we have all the info you need on dog-related natural products. I spoke to our suppliers in depth for hours about our palm oil, and we were assured that every tree that gets cut down is replaced in the same plantation with another tree, so no more deforestation happens. And we have the Dogcast Radio News. Did you know that around 1,000 American university campuses are actually using therapy dogs, with many in the UK following suit? But before all that, we have an interview with Hayley Justice about her Australian Shepherd. We're going to talk about your lovely dog, Maisie, and, and she's with you right now, though. She's, she's been very good and quiet. Yeah, <laughs> very <God> bless quiet. <laughs> so tell me about Maisie. I mean, let, let's start with perhaps the, the, what is special about her? She's, she's different, isn't she? What's special about Maisie? Yes, so she's deaf and blind completely yeah wow and and tell me why all right so it's gonna be long-winded so, <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, she's the cause of breeding two merles together which is called a double merle which is when they inherit two merle genes which is that's like sort of the pseudonym and uh when that occurs uh each puppy in that litter when two merle dogs are bred together each puppy gets into this lottery basically that they have a one in four chance of becoming a double merle who are really prone to uh, eye abnormalities, deafness and blindness, or a mixture of all of the above. Yeah, so, so she's a product of that. Yeah, it's a real no-no, isn't it? You don't mate a merle with a merle. Yeah, yep. And unfortunately, I guess not enough people know, especially those who are, you know, breeding unethically, backyard breeders and so on, or people are just being greedy because they think that you get more merles out of that when it doesn't quite work out, but, uh, and more, and Merle is a, a beautiful, stunning, unique coat and, uh, unfortunately sells for more than the tricolors, let's say, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know exactly what you mean because we had a Merle dog and, um, people would come over and say, Oh, what, what is he? And, and, you mm-hmm. know, would you be willing to breed yeah. him? And I was, no, thanks. No, not interested. Yeah. But yes, They're it really is a striking. Showstoppers, I guess. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes, as you say, don't don't make one with another to get merles. You, it's, no, I mean no, any... and it's tricky because uh, they can hide the merle gene. Sometimes can kind of hide where your dog looks tricolor, but they actually do indeed carry the merle gene. So sometimes it is a genuine oops. Mm. But um, a responsible breeder who uh, has a breed that usually or can carry the merle gene will have it uh, genetically tested before yeah. breeding. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's a, that's the thing, isn't it? A scrupulous person who is breathing mm-hmm. for the good of the breed, for the good of the dog, rather than, as you say, for the yeah. dollar or the pan, will look into it and will know what they're doing, won't they? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, genetic testing is more value to it than just um, checking for Merle. So, I mean, I would say for most breeders who are doing it ethically, they should be doing that for the breeding stock anyway. Yes. Because yeah. you can pass down more than just, you know, the Merle gene, you know. Yes, yeah. I mean, all that, that's the health testing. Absolutely, that's a great point. That, and it can't be said often enough. You know, if you're going to get a breed, if you're going to, um, whether you're going to buy or adopt, know what the health issues are with that breed, and then make sure that your yep. dog, you know, 
is well at least know the facts you know i understand that in rescue perhaps you may not be able to get there or or some dogs may not have had the testing done but at least know what the issues are yeah i mean if you're going to go to a i i support reputable breeders for sure Mm -hmm. the ones who are doing it ethically and do a lot of testing because those people aren't making money off of this. Yes. By the time you get through all the testing and all the care that you have to do to raise those puppies, you, they're not making a profit, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it's an expensive puppy, but they're not making money off of it usually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean... They're the ones who are doing it right, yeah, you know? Yeah, There's no such thing, really, as a bargain puppy, is there? Because if somebody's, you know, selling you no. a, a puppy that's a much, much cheaper puppy than, you know, the others of that breed, then... And I'm not, again, I'm not advocating the, you know, the do- the designer breeds nowadays that sort of um, sell for hundreds oh of gosh, pounds yeah. Yeah, over the odds. I'm not saying that, obviously, be sensible, <laughs> you know, but, you know, there isn't, the the other way isn't a good option either to go for a, a, a bargain puppy. No, the, the proclaimed purebred puppy on Craigslist, you know, the, there's no way that they've gone through the testing and behavioral uh, steps that they should be taking usually for that price. Yes. It just doesn't work that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And for anybody looking at their dog thinking, oh, I might breed my dog and make a quick buck, it doesn't work oh, like yeah. that either. Yep. No, don't no, do it. No, no, no. No, there's no. so much work. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, how how did Macy come into your life then? All right, so uh, at the time I had a much older little long coat chihuahua hmm. who uh, just was starting to get older and he was my little adventure buddy and he would go everywhere with me. So really great dog. But he's starting to slow down. And uh, I was looking actually just to foster, and I wanted a more energetic dog, but then I also had found out about this double merle issue, basically. And uh, I used to work at a dog kennel, and I have loved dogs all my life, and read up about them all the time. It's just a hobby. And so I sort of thought this next project that I brought on, I kind of wanted to take on a dog that would be harder to adopt out, basically, because uh, I had the time, and I almost wanted to make my dog a hobby for me. Mm. So... I went looking into fostering a special needs dog from the start and uh, Australian Shepherds, unfortunately, they carry that Merle gene and it's super prone to the stubble Merle issue. So I reached out to uh, a local Australian Shepherd rescue and asked if they had any special needs dogs and uh, immediately they did, which is unfortunate. Yes. So I was assigned Maisie, who was um, at the time in another foster home, who she was like, what, three months? And they had a husky, I guess, who was a little unsure of the way she acted and sort of moved around. So they were trying to re-foster home her, which is how I was sort of connected to her. Mm-hmm. So it was just good timing. Yes. Yeah. So she came into your yeah. life then originally temporarily. Yes. <laughs> I guess so- everyone nowadays, they, they never saw me getting rid of her. But at the time I was trying to tell myself that, you know, I'd be able to let her go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, fostering, we have to say that fostering is um, a wonderful thing to do. And one of my friends has, has fostered dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's a it's, it's hard work. I yeah. don't know how people do it. No, no. But it is hugely important, isn't it? It just takes them on from that step, you know, from the rescue, from the kennels. It gets them used to living in a house or whatever whatever issues oh, there absolutely. are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's, it's, it's one of the key elements to making these... Um, state-run shelters kill-free, you know? Yes. The way that we can help them is by supporting our communities, by getting dogs, giving more space for them to bring in more dogs, you know? Mm. And giving a dog the environment to sort of have a chance to learn how to live in a home and learn a few behaviors, like, you know, a basic sit, gain that communication and trust for some of those dogs who may have never had that before. Yeah, It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about Macy when she first arrived with you. 
Oh, my goodness. Okay, so she basically sort of came with nothing. She was kind of a blank slate, but from what it seems like, luckily, she didn't really have any sort of abuse, it seems like, from what I've noticed. Mm. She woke up. Can you tell? I um, don't, yes, I heard that. <laughs> uh, goodness. Um, so it was, she was kind of a blank slate, so almost immediately I started just trying to train her to sit, you know, because mm. at the time she was just like a chaotic little ball of, you know, a, a little Australian shepherd puppy. <laughs> the biggest difference was she can't see or hear, but it didn't change her energy or her, you know, activity. So mm. I needed to be able to communicate with her, you know, what the do's and don'ts of puppyhood. So she liked to chew on everything. She was a little shark with her puppy teeth. So, yeah, just a chaotic dog. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> it's, it's challenging enough with any puppy, but that's hugely challenging with, with a one a dog that can't see or hear you. Yeah, it was definitely like a little bit of an adjustment, I guess. <laughs> but uh, pretty quickly, you sort of learn each other's habits and things, which make it easier. Yeah, yeah. So did you have sort of advice at the start on, on how to approach training with her? Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, the organization that I got her from is uh, Aussie Rescue SoCal, and they are just fantastic. The people that run it are so wonderful, and they have such a great network. So if I had questions or issues, they've been there from the start, and they're still there for me, like, today after adopting. That's brilliant. So yeah. they've been a really awesome little support system. And then also... Crazy enough, Maisie has an Instagram, and I've connected with a lot of other double morals, and uh, it's a really caring community who uh, just sort of reach out for help, and there are people there with advice and experience with yeah. specifically these dogs, which is really cool. Yes, yeah, because I mean, I imagine it can be quite daunting. I mean, it's one thing to go into it as you did and and, and understand that you're taking on, you know, a dog that can be a challenge and, and comes with their own issues, but you're going to go through that with them. But it's a completely different one for people who find themselves in that situation, you know, by by um, by accident, by surprise. And yes. yeah, yeah, to know that yeah. support is there is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, because uh, unfortunately, these people who are, you know, the bad breeders, We'll get these dogs and try to sell them without someone knowing that their dog is impaired. Yeah. So that happens sometimes. They sell it just as a rare white dog. They get home, they go to the vet, and they go, your dog's deaf, you know? So, mm. yeah, really cool to have that community out there. Because yes. I've had quite a few people in those shoes asking for some advice and making it work. Yeah. Yeah. So how do how did you train Macy? And, and sort of what motivates her? Is it, is it food or what works with Macy? Uh, food is a huge one. Um, I don't like using food as much personally just because I don't like having treats on me all the time, mm. especially in like a dog yard situation. Um, having food can be sometimes a dangerous situation to putting dogs together, you know? So nowadays I use, um, just a lot of positive reinforcement, especially with toys. I have a certain toy that only comes out for training. Mm. She loves to play tug of war. So, uh, if she does the behavior correct, you know, she gets to play for a hot minute and then we continue the training. And that way, um, I feel like the bond's stronger in that way, and what she's taking in is a lot more motivated just by her willing to please versus looking for that treat, yes. which I prefer. But food mm. was a huge motivation as a puppy, especially. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So but uh, what I use to train is uh, touch training, mm. which is just physical touch. So for sit, um, to first get her to even sit down so that I could reward her for that action, it's like any other puppy where you hold the treat above their nose until they kind of fall back into a sit. Mm. And then you'd reward her with that treat and do it a couple of times until she's starting to do that motion on her own. And then I added, instead of where you would add a vocal or hand signal, 
command. Uh, you just, I would do a two taps on her butt would then be the replacement for that command. Mm-hmm. So really, like, um, for their mind, the way that works, it really didn't change all too much. It was more of an adjustment for me on how to communicate with her. But her, the way she learns is a lot similar to any other dog. She just takes in a touch versus um, a voice command. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. actually, that, that Which must, is that very must, weird. Yes. Well, yes, for you. Yes, I can imagine. You know, for, for the human side, because we are so verbal anyway, you know, I, I, the, yes. the number of trainers that have said to me, you know, shut up, just say what you have to say, but don't keep chatting to the dog, you know, is, uh-huh. is, is uh-huh. a lot. Um, but you know, that really must focus you on the, the fundamentals of training that you have to communicate with the dog when they can't see and hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. Definitely. It, once you sort of get into that mind track, it doesn't feel quite as unnatural. When it comes to like training her, like sometimes I, I like to, I've been looking into more like training her for like tricks and stuff, just, you know, to stimulate her mind and things. Mm. So getting her to do those actions to then give her a command attached to that, getting her to do them is almost the hardest part, especially with, because some of those you really use sort of a visual cue to try to get them to do that action so trying to think about how do I get this dog to do that how do I like physically kind of position her to do this action so that I can reward it is almost the hardest part Mm -hmm. she's really fast on catching on once I give her that reward she's quick to say I know what I'm supposed to do and uh, I almost think that the touch command is almost a clearer yes to her than maybe our voice because sometimes we use different tones and Mm. words so sometimes it gets kind of muddy for them, but for her, it's, I think it's pretty clear to her, yes and no, almost. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what, what behaviors has she mastered? So she can do, you know, the sit down, shake, working on spin. But um, as a puppy especially, we've been working a lot more on, there were a lot of different little cues that I had to build up so that she can do a heel, you know. Mm. So I started with, because how do you get, that's a pretty visual mm. thing for a dog to do usually because they check in. So what I did was um, I taught her as a puppy to touch her nose onto my calf, on my left calf. And so then I would move a step forward and she'd have to, you know, follow along. So it took her a minute to say, wait, she moved. I have to go find that <laughs> leg again. Mm. And um, so that linear motion of I need to move forward, you know, <laughs> what direction does she go in to find my leg? So it would take a minute for her to find that, you know, at first. And so it kept building off of that, okay, I'm going to do a couple of steps and you follow me, or I'm going to do, we're going to do a block of walking like this and so on. And so it was really kind of a slower process to get her to heal, but now she really gets the point. So there's a lot of commands like that where it's not really tricks, but there was quite a lot to work and build up to. Or I have a command for her to step up or step, or like a jump up or a jump down from like a curb or if we're hiking, jumping up onto a rock, that's a higher step for her. And so that was a lot of trust to, you know, leave the ground almost. Yes. Which, yeah, so that took quite a lot of building up too. So it's interesting. So not so much tricks for her at this point right now. It's a lot more, um, I don't know, making her a little more like average. Or I had to, um, I trained her because I wanted her to almost look at me to like concentrate. But for her, that was more point your nose up at me, you know. So every time she would look up, I'd reward her. Oh, so she so. tricks a lot of people, <laughs> but we worked on it, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, oh. yeah. 
Yeah, excellent, excellent. I mean, it's just amazing, and to see, you know, I do recommend people go and check out your um, your social media because when you actually see what this dog can do and the relationship between you, it's beautiful. It's lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's really incredible. I uh, when I first originally kind of signed up for fostering, I didn't outrightly say no deaf blind, but I kind of figured like I don't know, signing up, I was pretty clear like this is my first time with. Uh, special needs dog, and I kind of assumed they'd probably assign you to deaf or blind, probably at least a year older is what I assumed. So getting a deaf-blind puppy was uh, quite the surprise, and at that point I thought, she's just a foster, doesn't matter if she's not capable, because I really was looking for a hiking companion slash adventure friend hmm. in the long run when it came to adopting. So fostering was almost kind of um, a test run on can these dogs kind of put up with these things that I want from a companion? And uh, she did, she went above and beyond and still does. Yeah. Oh, bless her. So how, how long had she been with you when you realized, well, she's, she's staying? It was like, I felt a lot longer, but I think looking back at dates, it was only like a month yeah. that I had her maybe, or maybe a little more than that, because I had done a little video of her as like a little fluffy ball doing a couple of tricks that were like sit down and shake. And I sent it to um, the woman, Carol, that runs the rescue, who's wonderful. And she said, oh, can I post this online um, with sort of her adoption info? And she did. And then there was some interest, basically. And then that night I called her back. And I was like, just kidding. That's not happening. <laughs> so that was kind of the night of the meltdown of I can't let this animal go. Oh, bless her. Bless. Yeah. And, and how long has she been with you now? Uh, we're getting close to... Uh, a year. Yeah. I got her as a foster around in May, mm-hmm. early May. So we're getting close to a year. Yeah, yeah. And what would you, what would you say life is like for for Macy? What do you think? Because obviously, to to most of us whose whose dogs can see and hear, when you think of a dog that can't see or hear, it is it is daunting. And and you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, mm-hmm. to, thinking, well. What does her little mind make of the world? And does she understand that if she keeps walking, there will be floor? You know, obviously a dog looks at things very differently. That's that's not mm-hmm. the way that a dog looks at things anyway. But it it feels like it would be quite a frightening world. But then having said that, dogs to a dog, I'm just, I'm, I'm here, I'm having fun. Things are great, you know. So what do you think Macy's life is like for her? Uh, she really just makes, well, for, for her, she doesn't have a clue she's different, yeah. first of all, you yeah. know. What she makes of it is her problem solving isn't, oh, I'm different. I'm, I have to do different things and be almost self-conscious about it. Like we overthink things. Yes, so I think yeah. really seeing how she lives is like um, such a testament on how much social anxiety we really hold people back sometimes in whatever situation they may be in, you know. Mm. So um, she just sort of trusts the world. And I mean, every individual is different and every uh, dog is it's so situational, but she was so lucky in which she never learned to fear anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it really stands true. And, um, so like when we're hiking and stuff, she just believes that there will be something. <laughs> and sometimes there is, um, a step down that is a little too far and she'll argue almost and say, <laughs> I don't know about this. This seems like a pretty big drop. Aww. And so she's smart enough that, you know, there's a certain amount of carelessness, but, uh, thankfully she's a really smart breed. Yes. So sometimes she does, you know, stay safe and say, I don't think there's something down there. And, you know, you have, uh, luckily I have that command that says, 
trust me, there's something down there mm. in which, you know, then she follows through or sometimes argues a bit more and then continues on <laughs> since she's a teenager. But um, <laughs> she's like really just an average dog who sometimes has to do things differently. You know, like right yeah. now she woke up and now she's playing with a toy <laughs> and she's I'm right now. You Well, she kind of lost it and found it. So like, mm. sometimes what she does takes a little longer than um, your able dog, let's say. Mm-hmm. But uh, she sort of makes things work on her own. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but she doesn't realize that she's doing it differently. No. Which I think is like the freest part about her. Mm. So she's I'm just a happy dog who has a lot of energy that needs to use it somewhere. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's so. lovely to hear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we've talked about sort of how you communicate with her, but how does she communicate with you? Would, would you say that's sort of very similar to how a, a sighted or hearing dog would communicate with you? Uh, yes and no. It's pretty incredible, I guess. A lot of this must be um, traits that they inherit, I guess. Like she does do like uh, a lot of like the tail wag, for example. Sometimes she doesn't do as many visual cues. Like, she'll whack her tail sometimes, but I would say probably not as frequently as she would, let's say, potentially, as um, if she were sighted, let's say. Mm. Uh, But she does, like, she'll bark and grumble sometimes when she's, (laughs) uh, like, at dinner time, if I take longer to get her her bowl, she'll start to grumble and sort of argue about, you know, I want Mm. dinner. Or as we were saying before about uh, she's unsure about, you know, the jump down someplace from, you know, a rock or a couch or who knows that she's unfamiliar with. She'll bark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, in the morning, she'll wake up and nose around at me and sometimes kind of whine at me and say, you know, time for breakfast, I want to go outside <laughs> um, and check in on me. Yeah. She's uh, always super attentive on where I am. Mm-hmm. So, which even more so than um, uh, an able dog, I would say, because yeah. uh, then she doesn't lose track of me. So when she sleeps, usually she tries to keep some form of contact with me, whether it's you know, she's resting on my foot or she'll sleep across the doorway of a room that she knows I'm in. Mm. But if I leave, she's aware of it and can follow me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways that she can finds a way to communicate sort of the similar things that any other dog would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. usually it's a lot more physical. So it's more bumping or laying kind of on you or next to you. Yeah. Oh, it's it's interesting that, as you say, that, that she barks because if she can't hear yeah. the bark and yet she still barks, that must be so instinctive, mustn't it? Yeah, it must be mm. because, uh, yeah. <laughs> but she, I mean, you, you kind of feel it like when you talk, you can kind of feel your voice vibrate in there and mm. you're, you know, expelling yeah. your breath that you can smell and things like that. So before when I first got her, I didn't talk to her as much because it kind of felt ridiculous to me. Mm. But mm. the more I've been around her, I've kind of, I kind of do it just sort of habit now of like talking to your dog. But yes. then also I do think something comes of it. And I also think that um, it's so natural for us to move when we talk. And I mm. think it happens like more naturally for me to move around and interact with her if I add my voice to it than if I'm just using, you know, my body language. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you so, say that because my, yeah, my, my dog was, was, hearing until I guess he was about 12. I had a Labrador. And yeah. I didn't realize, I, I knew his hearing was sort of dipping. And then one day when he was, uh, I guess, 14, possibly 15, the doorbell rang mm-hmm. and he just did not respond at all. And I was like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. he, he really is profoundly deaf now. But 
um, very luckily, when I, when he was three, Stanley Corrin, I, I interviewed Stanley Corrin, and he said, use um, signals, hand signals, with the dog, you know, to, to age-proof them. And, and so we did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every command, including good dog, got a, a hand signal mm-hmm. as well. And so I could communicate with him, luckily, with hand signals. And we yeah. could still, you know, we could still have fun. And he could, he used to love to just do some really, really simple training, not running or anything, but not fetching, but sort of hiding a toy for him and him going, find it and coming yep. back. And so, oh, was, yeah. yeah, still doing a job. And yet, as you say, I would still talk to him, even though I knew he was only getting the hand signals, really. I'd still chat away to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, and yeah. as you say, you forget what a powerful sense, the sense of smell is for dogs, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, every dog has that, too. They just don't always have to use it as much, you know. Mm. So yeah. she relies on her, so she's been able to strengthen and understand kind of the information she gets, basically, yeah. is what she's doing. Mm. But but as she's like gotten older, she's definitely honed in that um, power that she has, you know. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So I can't hide from her, basically. <laughs> <laughs> or she can she'll throw a toy while she's playing with it, and then she'll go find it. But she'll be able to use her nose and find and the texture of it and everything, mm. and she will find that specific toy that she threw. She doesn't want a different one. She wants that one. Oh. So she's very picky. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. not taking anything. That's lovely. That's lovely. So, um, is there? Yeah. I'm, I'm aware that sort of time is passing, but is there anything that we haven't covered about Macy that that you'd like to say? I guess uh, if people are interested or want more information on them or whatever, there's a great rescue 501c who also has a ton of information on double morals and training special needs dogs um, called Keller's Cause, like Helen Keller, the last mm-hmm. name. Uh, really great organization, but also, I mean, for anyone who may have um, a deaf or blind or both or impaired dog who's looking for more information, there are videos on how to actually train these animals. She has some amazing training videos, and also her dogs are so complex with um, the abilities that they have, and she does uh, obedience competitions or agility, I believe, with a deaf dog, and it's incredible what she can do, but also her resources that they have are so powerful and helpful. Um, I use them a lot when I was first learning sort of how to communicate with Maisie and train her because uh, she sort of has videos of like step-by-step on, you know, training sit or down or just sort of communicating with them because it's sometimes hard to visualize it. Mm. But seeing her interact with these dogs is pretty um, helpful. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. We will, we'll put links on the uh, the dogcast site to, to all of those. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And tell us about um, Macy's own um, Instagram, Instagram and, and her social media. Oh, yes. So her Instagram is, uh, what is it, at Maisie underscore Theosimix. And uh, really cool, fun, just sort of world in which I get to sort of share our adventures. We like to go hiking or to the beach or I make my friends go camping with me and <laughs> <laughs> just enjoy my dog with me. And uh, we also... Uh, try to spread awareness on this double moral issue and post a lot about kind of the science on it and just raising awareness on that. And then also uh, just trying to gain advocates for special needs dogs. Cause I think when you hear deaf blind and you think of, I mean, I think Helen Keller is the biggest name that I think everyone says to me whenever I go, Oh, I've got a deaf blind dog. And they go, Oh, Helen Keller dog, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of the biggest name that you think of when you hear that. And um, she was a total inspiration, but also the way humans 
um, have to interact with the world with a disability versus how a dog does is so different. I mean, I mean, we're a lot more complex in our society. There's a lot more things that we have to sort of work with. But dogs are so capable um, with whatever disability that they're handed with, it seems like. And uh, I think sometimes we can't kind of fathom what they're capable of. So we like to just sort of share that um, for most of us that are just looking for companions, these animals are more than capable of what we'd like. And yeah. maybe these dogs might be the one for you, you know, mm-hmm. since unfortunately there are rescues full of them who are yeah. looking for homes. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you say, they, they, they don't feel sorry for themselves and they don't want people to feel no, sorry for them because they have, feel. they can have, you know, a great life. And, and as you say, when you see a blind or deaf dog, doing agility or doing a sport and you just think my goodness that it's just amazing because they get on and do it yes you have to adapt it Uh they just get on and do it don't they yeah and then there's also like scent work for example scent trials and things in which i think i mean your dog kind of has a one-up in that situation yes that knows a lot more than (laughs) um some of these other able dogs which is kind of a cool sport to get into because you kind of go in with the upper hand for once which is fun It's lovely to know that Macy has fun and a good life. But how awful is it to also know that she has to overcome blindness and deafness because either through ignorance or greed, she was bred that way. Please help spread the word that double merle matings should be absolutely avoided. Thanks to Hayley for telling me about life and training with Macy and good luck to both of them for the future. Handle every stressful situation like a dog. If you can't eat or play with it, just pee on it and walk away. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio news. If you're a dog owner, you probably know firsthand that dogs are great stress busters, but did you know that around 1,000 American university campuses are actually using therapy dogs, with many in the UK following suit? And a study of more than 300 students who spend an hour a week with a therapy dog has confirmed their beneficial effect. Students who had been identified as at risk of academic failure or dropping out felt more relaxed and accepted thanks to their sessions. The students were better able to concentrate, learn and remember thanks to the dogs. Another skill a recent study has confirmed is that of the ability to sniff out cancer. This admittedly small US study found that beagles are 97% accurate when sniffing blood serum samples from both healthy patients and those with lung cancer. The team at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine trained three beagles for eight weeks, teaching the dogs to sit when they detected cancer or move on if they didn't. Having established how amazingly accurate the dogs were in this study, researchers have moved on to investigate their ability to identify lung, breast and colorectal cancer. The hope is that eventually a screening test can be developed that will be available over the counter. Our next story might raise an eyebrow or two. See what I did there? I did, but this is a serious story. Now come on, concentrate. You know the expression, puppy dog eyes? I do. Shh, it was a rhetorical question. It turns out the dogs really do have the ability to raise their eyebrows and adopt a quizzical expression which humans find cute. Amazingly, scientists reckon it has taken 33,000 years for dogs to evolve the necessary muscles around their eyes and the process started when humans first started to domesticate wolves. The muscles which make the dog's eyes look larger and more appealing are simply not there in wolves. 
and though wolves can produce a similar expression, they do so less often and less intensely than dogs. In fact, it means that dogs can show more human-like eye movements than our closest relative, the chimpanzee. The theory is that over time, those dogs who had more appealing expressions were kept and bred from more, leading to the change. Interestingly, this is the only example of an animal's facial expression changing as a result of domestication. Wow! So even before we realised it, we were selectively breeding dogs. Yes, but intriguingly, the one breed in the study which did not possess the eyebrow muscle was the Siberian Husky, which is an ancient breed and was bred to pull sleds rather than be a pet. Clearly, breeding can significantly affect dogs, but a study of dog bites in Calgary found that no breed group correlates with serious bites. The study took note of all dog bites in Calgary between 2012 and 2017, and is unique in the detail and reliability of the data involved. The results show that children and young people are most likely to be bitten, which may be what you'd expect. But surprisingly, the other age category most at risk is the over 60s. The analysis looked at 2,165 dog bite incidents, of which 51% were low severity, 35% medium severity, and 13.5% were high severity. These incidents involved 1,873 dogs, and 54 of those dogs were subsequently euthanized. The good news is that the data showed that over the time the study examined, the number of severe dog bites decreased, but the most serious bites happen in the home. So maybe we need to educate kids and seniors on bite prevention, but there's no indication that any breed group is more likely to bite than any other. One dog I can guarantee will not be included in any bite is the robot dog. Meta Yun had always longed for a pet, but her parents wouldn't let her have one, giving her cuddly toys instead. Yun imagined her plushies coming to life, and that daydream stayed with her to the extent that in 2017 she quit her job to create a robot dog. But this is no ordinary robot dog. This is a robot that touches your heart. Kiki has pointed ears and a screen that projects big puppyish eyes. It has a camera in its nose to read your facial expressions, and it can perform little tricks to make you smile. If you pat it, Kiki sometimes cocks its head up or yelps in approval. Oh wow, that is going on my Christmas list. You'll have to make sure Santa thinks you've been a good girl then. Hmm. Maybe I'll just save my pocket money instead then. Just in case. Back to biological dogs now, and a team at the University of Sydney have been investigating the origins of the Australian Kelpie, looking at similar characteristics shared by the Kelpie and the Dingo. They have distinctive pricked-up ears, similar body shape and coat colour, but apparently these similarities in appearance have different genetic causes. The Kelpie breed was developed from the Scottish Collie and taken to Australia in the 1800s. Rumour had it that soon after its arrival, farmers crossbred the Kelpies with Dingoes in an effort to help the imported breed cope with the harsh climate. But events were cloaked in mystery, thanks to the original importer keeping their breeding bitches to themselves and maintaining secrecy. A team from the University of New South Wales carried out tests in an effort to determine when and if the Dingo genes had been introduced to the Kelpie line. But in a surprising turn of events, it's now thought more likely that dingoes have kelpie genes than the other way around. Sadly, this comes from some kelpies being left behind when people abandoned their farm. The poor kelpie, having lost their human family, would assimilate into the local dingo population. It's amazing the insights modern technology is giving us into our dogs. It is, but their loyal, brave nature is something that time hasn't changed. And when a dog owner got stuck knee deep in mud. Near the Potomac River in Maryland, he began to despair of freeing himself. But as he was panicking and sinking, his dogs ran off and barked at a passing cyclist. The cyclist heard the sinking man's cries and raised the alarm. And the man, 
who was 87 years old, was pulled from the mud, sustaining no injuries. What clever dogs. That's all we've got time for. See you next time. I feel sorry for people who don't have dogs. I hear they have to pick up food they drop on the floor. Do you like to use natural products on your dog? Are you motivated to choose products that are ethical and responsibly sourced? Would you be prepared to start your own company to meet both those requirements? Well, that's exactly what my next guest did. Today I'm talking to Taylor Wilkins. Hi, Taylor. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. A little bit nervous, but I'm okay. Oh, don't be nervous. We're just going to have a chat about dogs, and we both love dogs, so that's going to be great. That's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. Yeah, good. So you say, you know, say that you you love your dog. In fact, to the extent you started a business inspired by your dog. But first of all, your dog's Cody. So tell me about Cody. So Cody is uh, an F1 cockapoo. Hmm. He's three years old today, and. Um, but, I mean, we believe he yeah, didn't have the best start in life. He, um, well, we believe, I'm not trying to be slanderous or anything, we believe he was from a puppy farm. Mm. Um, and he was the run of the litter. We know that for a fact. His mum didn't really want him. He was not in the best of shape when we found him. But now his tail wags constantly. He's happy, the happiest dog I've ever seen. He's a little bit timid, but still happy. So if you, like, if you leave the house, you come back in, he'll be waiting with his elephant in mouth, tail <laughs> wagging to give you the best welcome. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I mean, we love him so much, but I think um, he come at quite a trying time for our family. Hmm. So my sister was uh, diagnosed with cancer three oh, weeks dear. after yeah. he uh, he arrived, and oh, he just becomes such a constant in our lives and such a great source of comfort. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. why we're so attached to him. He just is that comforting and kind of makes everything better yeah his tail's just going he has no idea around a world world around him and he's just so happy yeah and it's just it's, it's amazing it really is he does lift everyone's spirits oh bless and do you know time and time again you know as, as i'm listening to people and thinking about my own dogs you know and you think the power of a dog is just amazing and oh yeah they're just there Absolutely. yeah they're just there for you and then whatever the situation whether you're happy i always think you know if you come into a room happy and you're singing and doing a little dance you know the dog goes hey what are we doing and they join in yeah but if you he's come, involved that happy yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if you equally, if you come in and you sit down and with your head on your knees and you cry, you know, and your dog's there saying, I'm here with you, you know, I'll sit with you, I'll cry. Yeah. And they never say the wrong thing and they're always listening. Oh, never. They'll nuffle yeah. up and they make you feel better. It's yeah. amazing. They do, they match your emotions amazingly. I don't know how they do it. I know. But they, um, they can match your emotions so well. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you, you mix with people and you think, Oh, thank goodness for dogs, because people will drive you mad, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he is so, like, when people come in to your house and say, oh, I'm, I'm not too fond of dogs, he's kind of think, well, it is my dog's house, yeah. so yeah. you're going to have to get on with it. <laughs> yes. Go find another house then. Yes, yeah. right. Welcome that's, ter- that's terrible to say, isn't it? <laughs> no. No, I know what you mean. There, it's, it's funny. It's, it's also, I find it's the attitude, because if people sort of say, I'm sorry, I, I'm not that keen on dogs. Can you keep your dog away? Then I'm more likely to do it. Whereas if they kind of come in with the attitude of, I'm a human and that's just a dog, move it. And I'm more likely to say, 
no, no. <laughs> we'll stay no, in the he kitchen. He sits on the sofa with me. Yes. He sits on the sofa next to me. You can sit on the floor. Yeah. That's okay. That's <laughs> terrible, isn't that? No, Just no. to clarify, no one will sit on the floor in my house, just to clarify. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to. I'm well, not yes. one to judge. <laughs> ah, if they don't like dogs, they can... <laughs> they're lucky, lucky they're not sitting on the pavement, Taylor. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's more unlucky for them. I mean, they miss that part of life. Yes, yeah, that's why I think it's you. If you do, if you've never loved a dog and had a dog love you, you've missed out on so much. So, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. How is your sister now? Is she okay? Um, getting there. We. Yeah. It was a little bit of a. We got the all clear and was all happy, and then it come back with a bit of a vengeance. But again, mm-hmm. we're just going to do what we did the first yes. time and just. But it's game, and I think that's yeah. That's that's it. That's how life is. It's a game of game of wins and losses. And took the win, took the loss, and now we're about to go get another win. It's fine. I mean, yeah, it's how it is. And Cody's still making everyone feel better. Yeah, Aww. the same old. He's doing his job. Yeah. Well, look, love to your sister. It sounds like she's got a great team of people around her and then the right attitude. So lots of love to you all and, and no, best of luck. Thank you very much. So obviously you're, you're coming from a place where you want everything in life to be as healthy and, and good for you as possible. So tell me, how did Cody inspire you to start your business? Well, I think it wasn't, it wasn't just Cody. Uh, it was, I think anyone that's suffered any sort of trauma at all uh so a loss of a loved one or anything like that they'll know you reevaluate life massively mm. and after jenna it changed all of our perceptions but for me it was just a bit more i've always loved business and the idea of having a business and cody is such a massive part of my life and i said well you know what if i love him so much and i love business it's just a perfect harmony yeah and that's where it just kind of the idea was born and then little things happened I thought oh hang on we could do that we can do that and it was just kind of uh, it sounds stupid this kind of stars aligned almost where it was just mm. little things happened I thought oh actually that's a great idea and then as I started researching into things more things come up and I mean I'm sure we'll talk about later how uh, the products and everything and everything like that but yeah it was it was I think my love for business and my love for him, and I just married it together. Yeah. Married it together, sorry. That was a terrible pronunciation. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's just how it was born. Very, very simply. It wasn't anything, it wasn't any miracle or anything. It was just very simple sitting there with my dog by the fire and thinking, oh, you know what? This, this could actually be amazing. Mm. And that's how it started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I find it so inspirational when people have an idea, because we all have those moments when you go, oh, that'd be quite interesting to do, that'd be, that'd be good. And then maybe you try or you don't and the moment passes and you move on and it never happens. So I think that's brilliant to actually have the idea and run with it. And yeah, yeah your, your first product was a shampoo. So how did, how did Cody guide that decision? So it's not quite a shampoo, it's a dry wash shampoo. Mm. So it's like no water's needed. Um, Cody is, is an adventurer. He loves the forest and we take him off the lead and he'll go off and he'll rummage around uh, it's usually around mud and water. In, <laughs> that's his preferred area. Mm. Um, this has kind of led to us being a bit stuck because we groom him every six weeks and we had to wash him in between. But the idea of washing him constantly, uh, it wasn't sitting with me very well because it strips the oils out of their hair and we kind of 
thinking about well, why can't we have like a mid-groom type of product and that's oh. where that kind of was born I thought we can do this without having any consequences almost so we can it's nice and easy it's quick and he can go and run off getting smelly in the nicest way and we can have a nice lovely dog cuddling up to us in the evenings yeah yeah well that then life is great for your dog because you know they all want to go off and well most of them want to go off and and you say get smelly and dirty and be a dog you know we had a little white um bichon frise and she looked a little angel but she loved to get in the mud and the dirt and her fa- one of her favorite things which i wouldn't it was before lung word before we'd heard much about lungworm. And she used to like to lick snails. So we had to be, you know, we didn't like, didn't let her do it if we could avoid it. But she <laughs> yeah. was a real, well, you know, she sometimes was a real you can't afford, we can't, you can't avoid it. I mean, they're 50 foot away and they're doing something you can't stop them. Yeah. But, um, as you're saying there, she's white and the mud would show up. Yes. From a mile away. <laughs> so yes. Cody's a blue roan. He's got his grey, white, black, and it just, some parts he's okay. His little black patches, you can't see anything, but his white patches it just shows up and you can just see from a mile away, like, yeah, he's rolled in mud. Lovely. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Great he's happy. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. I know. I have to wash it, the, uh, the blanket in the car a lot, don't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, every other day, that's right. He's happy. That's the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. That that should be the priority, shouldn't it? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So you obviously you want products that are good for dogs, but you've also decided to source your ingredients. Is, is that's the word? Responsibly. So why? You know, what was behind that? Why? Why have you chosen that um, responsible sourcing? Yeah. Well, as we as we spoke about earlier. Um, it's a new wave for businesses to act responsibly and source responsibly. I mean, for me, I look at everything and think it has such a knock-on effect that no one really thinks about. So take, like, I don't know, uh, cosmetics, for example, like it's been tested on animals or, uh, you know, even fish. If cod isn't lion caught and it could be uh, net caught and all other fish get caught up in it and there's such a catastrophic event where uh, or palm oil is yes. obviously just hitting the headlines massively and I'm sure we'll touch on it later oh yes <laughs> making sure that that's from a responsible source like a certified supplier um, I think little things like that and it's the little choices make such a difference because it puts pressure on businesses uh, as, as a consumer it puts such a pressure on businesses to make that change Yes. If someone didn't buy their product because it's not responsibly sourced, they will change eventually. And then within hopefully a couple of years, everything is responsibly sourced and we can live like harmoniously in the planet with everyone. And it's not a massive problem of headlines of deforestation and declining habitats and populations. And it would just be nice to see that change. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And as you say, it's, it's us as consumers who make that difference. And it's very easy to think, you know, you, you, you're just one person and you get lost in a sea of, of customers. But if we all make those those right choices and decisions together, we can put the right pressure onto companies, can't we? Oh, yeah, 100%. But I think from my standpoint as I'm an extremely small business owner within the sense of all the other companies, it's also my responsibility as well because if I don't give that option of we are responsibly sourced and... We are all natural and all, everything along them lines. 
it gives people that option because if there is an option there they're still going to buy the product then i'm adding to that problem that's how i see it anyway yes yeah as you say yeah we need we need those um products to be on offer for us to, to make those choices definitely yeah, of course. Definitely. yeah yeah so you mentioned palm oil and that, that's um a hot issue at the moment it keeps hitting the headlines why and do you use palm oil so we do use palm oil mm-hmm. um but I'll, I'll touch on that later um uh so palm oil has been hitting the headlines and unless you're living under a rock Mm-hmm. You must know about it. So I think from what I've seen, uh, the big thing is deforestation on primary forests, a forest that haven't been touched by man. Yeah. Uh, the impact on animals such, uh, like, for example, orangutans, mm-hmm. uh, they've been hitting the press a lot. So they've been on the critically endangered list, I think, since the millennium, I believe. I mm-hmm. think I'm correct there. And their population has declined by 80% in the last 75 years, mainly through deforestation. And, um, that's a, and poor working conditions, child labour is apparently, from, if you believe the headlines, mm. going hand in hand with palm oil. I think the main thing for that is there's such a demand for it. Palm oil is in 50% of the products you see on a supermarket shelf. Yes, it's in a heck of a lot of things, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's in so much. Um, that was such an issue for us. So saying we have to use palm oil. Oh, we don't have to, but palm oil is a, it's an incredibly good conditioning agent, which is in our products, uh, as well as aloe vera. Um, we did originally look at cutting it out completely. Um, we spoke to suppliers and said we don't want it. Um, they advised us that it was a bad idea to cut it out as it would cause problem with the formulation. Um, so we looked at a responsible source. Uh, so basically, our palm oil is RSPO. Mm-hmm. RSPO is uh, it's an organisation. It has seven different organisations within that, uh, from producers to farmers to suppliers to banks, everyone. Uh, NGOs are in there as well. They basically they do a lot of things, but they regulate palm oil. It's done so... We can use palm oil in a responsibly responsibly sourced way. So they have a list of criteria that every plantation has to meet. And if they don't meet these criteria, they're not certified and they're not responsibly sourced. So it's no primary or biodiverse land can be converted into plantations. All wildlife is protected on them plantations. So there was headlines of clubbing of orangutans a little while back. Land can't be taken from indigenous people. So there was, again, headlines of indigenous people being robbed of their land. And the working conditions uh, must be improved. So they operate on a fair trade system, no child labour, things along that lines. All of them plantations are certified by a third party. So I spoke to our suppliers in depth for hours about our palm oil. And we were assured that every tree that gets cut down is replaced in the same plantation with another tree. So no more deforestation happens. Yeah, yeah. So, like my point, this has to happen because if there's such a problem, then we have to do it. The only problem is we can't cut out palm oil, in my opinion, because it's in so much, but it's such an efficient crop. So... Palm oil produces four times the amount of oil 
um, for the space it uses in comparison to any other substitute, wow. such as soy or coconut or anything like that. Mm. So it's extremely efficient. So in my opinion, if we said, no, we're cutting out palm oil and we're moving to any other substitute, it would be out of the frying pan and into the fire almost because we'd have to have so much more plantations to meet that demand. Mm. So in my opinion, that we don't have to cut it out. It's not that situation, but it really does need to be regulated. So only 19% of palm oil um, plantations are under the round table of responsibly sourced mm. products. Um, so that needs to increase. And I think that's what we spoke about earlier. It's, it's our responsibility as suppliers and producers yes, uh, to make sure them products are on offer for consumers. And I think that's, yeah, that's it really. We can, we can make sure it's responsibly sourced because it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I think it's just a little bit more complicated. Yes. In way. Yeah. A little bit more complicated to find and to source. So once, once it's there, once it's sourced, it's okay. It's not, it's not that hard. So there's no excuse really. No, no. And as you say, it is something we have to do. Um, Jenny and I, Jenny's my daughter, we, we did another podcast from our, and, um, Zoocast. And we went to West Midland Safari Park and we did, they have, um, a, a little, a little bit of the, the park where you, you know, you travel back in time and you see dinosaurs and, and, um, prehistoric animals. And it was, it was, it, you, it's wonderful. And you're walking through and there's all these animatronic animals that you're looking at and going, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. And then and you'd go into the ice cave and it's wonderful. And then you come to the end and you see how basically man, people, um, eradicated or, you know, made a big, big contribution to eradicating those species. And, and, and you think, you know, isn't it sad? And then there's a, there's a exhibition at the end of that little section talking about the animals, the species that we are, if we're not eradicating, we're, we're not helping them to, to survive. Oh, well, yeah, we're very close you know? to doing it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's absolutely yeah. crazy. I mean, there was a, uh, shout out, what was it called? Um, I think it was Our Planet by David Attenborough. I'm not. I'm not sure if you saw it. Um, I mean, if you haven't, you have to give it a watch. It is yeah. absolutely. It's eye opening. Mm. It really is. Um, the damage we are doing. Yes. But at the same time, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not an angel, and I can't say that. Oh, I've never used a product that's not responsible. So I have, of course, I have. Everybody has. But if we can make small little changes. Mm. Step by step, even if it's not completely change your whole uh, wardrobe or can change all of your cosmetics, it, it doesn't need to be that extreme. Just making little changes can make such a difference. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes you you come across this, you know, for example, the orangutans and, and the palm oil and, and, and oh, my goodness, I'm not going to have um, palm oil. And then, as you say, you, you get lost in, oh, I'm busy. I've got, I've got to have this product. I'm going to buy it. And, you know, and then you, mm. you're guilty and you buy it. But then... Gradually, the idea flourishes in your in your conscience, and sort of you do think I'm going to have to start looking into this and and you know making better choices. So I think sometimes it takes a while to take root, but then once you realise what you're doing and what you should be doing, then you know it's it's once you're aware of things. Yes, we've all bought the wrong things and done the wrong things and made you know mistakes, but now once your your eyes are open to it, it's then what do you do then? Do you do you 
think, yes, actually, now I know I'm going to make better informed decisions and I'm going to help the planet to, you know, to survive and then help those species to survive. It's what you've got to do, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, I wasn't even, I mean, I was aware of it to an extent and it was, yeah, it's okay, but I think it's quite easy to not notice it because what Palma was in all the way like in Indonesia mm. in Essex it, I don't see it and it, it escapes your mind quite easily in, in my case anyway and I yes. think as you said it takes a while and it, it was months of reading of looking up palm oil and all the different effects it has before I really got into depth with why it is so dangerous mm. well dangerous is quite a strong word but potentially dangerous yeah yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, little steps. So that's the roundtable I spoke about earlier. Uh, so places like Waitrose um, are uh, part of it. So um, if you go to places that do use responsibly sourced, then go there. And it might be. I mean, I, mean, I do understand Waitrose is quite expensive, but little changes, yes. slowly and but surely. Yeah. Definitely do do what you can. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you source responsibly, which is brilliant. Um, also, your products are natural, aren't they? And I think that's something a lot of dog owners really value. Well, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do personally. Uh, I feel that if it sounds silly, but if I wasn't uh, happy to put it on my own dog, why should I expect other people to put it on their dog? Mm. So. Um, maybe slightly overprotective if you speak to my family of my dog, <laughs> of little Cody. Um, and I am very aware of what goes on his skin, in his mouth. I mean, to a point, he can have he can have sticks and stuff and run around in the forest. But what he eats and everything, I think it's extremely important. So again, it's just the sources of the products. So we use aloe vera as a conditioning agent. Um, as our brand is for sensitive skin, so any dog can have it. Uh, so we use stuff like aloe vera to soothe. It's a soothing effect. It, it can be used by any dog. Yeah, I think it's just important to use natural products because we can. We have the opportunity now. It's it's not like we have no other alternative. It's not all natural is an alternative we can have. So why wouldn't you? Yes. Nice this way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Again, help our dogs be as healthy as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Of course. I mean, from a purely business standpoint and looking at just the numbers, it costs us a heck of a lot more to produce all natural. But for me personally, it makes no difference. I don't, I don't care whether it costs hundred pounds or a thousand pounds. It has to be perfect. The product, ha- if I'm selling something that's got my brand on it, or Cody's brand is Cody's mm. Comforts, then it has to be worthy to go on every single person's dog without me worrying of, oh, was that quite right? It, it doesn't matter as long as it is perfect in this way. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. It's, I mean, you sound like you, you've got exactly the right attitude. What, could you sum up your your dog ownership philosophy for us? Yeah, I mean, it's quite simple. Of It's just make sure the dog is happy as possible. I mean, I, I trained Cody 
from really young. I really enjoyed it. I found a real love for training Cody. Mm. Um, and the whole thing was positive reinforcement with him. And I personally, I don't feel you don't need to be negative towards a dog at all. So Cody's quite timid and we have to nurse the confidence out. And I think that's just positive encouragement, positive reinforcement. Um, he's scared of his shadow, but he it's weird, like inanimate objects, his bowl, uh, anything new, a new lead, he'd be scared of. Oh. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just positive reinforcement and just being as loving as possible, really, because yeah. they were turn that tenfold. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. Do you know, I, I can remember asking... Um, Somebody I've interviewed several times, Graham Sims, and he was a working shepherd and he, he did displays with his dogs. And I said to him, you know, what, what's the best advice you could offer to dog owners? And he, and it really surprised me because he said, love your dog so much they can't resist you. And yeah. I just thought that was lovely. Yes, uh, amazing advice. It really is because they just will repay it in tenfold. Yeah. They can't put a, a poor wrong. Mm. Yeah. They really can't. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Um, Taylor, is there anything else that you wanted to say that, that you haven't had a chance to yet? Um, I just want to thank you, really. I just want to thank you for hearing me out, drone on about <laughs> palm oil and all natural and everything and probably boring everyone to death. But I just want to thank you for letting oh. me come on and talk to you. It's been, yeah. it's been oh. a great experience. Well, I hope thank to you. come on and speak to you again. Soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. It's been very interesting. Um, and thank you very much for, for sharing all that with us. Do you have a website? Where can people find out more about Cody's Comforts? At the moment, our website's had a little bit of a hiccup, so we've pulled it down. But we're mainly on social media. Okay. So we're all over Instagram. Um, it's just uh, Cody's.comforts. Facebook, just search Cody's Comforts and he'll come up mm-hmm. and you'll see Cody's face covered in mud, probably. <laughs> um, With a big grin. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to, if anyone has any questions, just feel free to get in contact with us through Instagram, give us a DM or an email. Um, it's all, all over our social media, you can find us. And yeah, we'll be happy to help with anything if anyone's got any questions. I find it so admirable when people have a vision and they actually implement it. Wonderful. We have Cody's Comforts links on the Dogcast Radio site, along with all the other links mentioned today. Thanks and good luck to Taylor and Cody. The reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail instead of his tongue. There's just time before we go to mention the sad story of Chihuahua Gizmo, whose owner says it was snatched from the garden of their Devon home by a seagull. Now, I must admit, when I read this story, my first thought was, wow, can a seagull actually pick up a Chihuahua? Closely followed by my second thought of, oh my goodness, would one be able to pick up our little mischief? Apparently, experts have confirmed that seagulls can pick up small mammals, but the point is that the poor little dog is still missing. And while I really hope he's found, after all this time with no sightings, hope does start to fade. What makes this case even sadder is that UAV Lost Dog Search and Rescue, a local group who had been leading the search for Gizmo, has had to step down due to online and press harassment. Isn't that sad? These are people out volunteering their own time to help other people whose dogs are missing, and that task has been made impossible by people not directly involved. 
Why can't we all just be a little kinder? And if we want to voice an opinion, do it kindly. I hope little Gizmo is found very soon. But I tell you what, people can drive you mad. So thank goodness for dogs. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio. Available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T Radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word: Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Hey, Mum, I'm thinking of changing Miss Chief's name to Five Miles. Why? So I can tell people that I walk five miles every day.